Welcome to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Hey, Jim. Well, you and I have been spending a lot of time together on the phone uh, at night. Um, a lot going on here with the, the lumber issue. Uh, uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you uh, for being able to uh, finally get the senior officers of NEHB uh, a meeting with uh, Secretary Raimondo. Yeah, well, 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 thanks. Yeah, and uh, and you know, it's a, it, this has been a team effort. There's a, a broad, uh, broad pool of talent here at NHB uh, that has been working on this. Alex Strong on my team uh, has been using uh, the the congressional hammer, so to speak, to uh, to really skewer any administration uh, official that comes up before Capitol Hill, whether it's Secretary Armando, Secretary Fudge, uh, Ambassador Ty. Uh, anybody, uh, we've had our allies on Capitol Hill, driven, of course, by our our, our grassroots uh, advocacy over the last several months, uh, to to finally get uh, Secretary Raimondo uh, uh, to, uh, to to sit down with the with the officer team uh, and the builders to to talk through the uh, the lumber crisis. So again, uh, a large team here working on this uh, every day. Saying with the same subject. Uh, we have a, a guest with us today. We're going to have Ross Stock of the Western Cascade Industries in Toledo, Oregon. Um, Ross is uh, going to talk about uh, what it is, uh, what his view on the, the the lumber crisis is. It'll be interesting because, uh, so I understand that he's got a pretty successful operation out there. Yeah, he he runs a he runs a small independent mill, uh, and he's got uh, opinions on on where the market is, where it might go. Uh, but more importantly, he's got a he, he's got he's got broad opinions on the, the Canadian tariff issue. He's got broad broad opinions on our national forest policy uh, on the on the on the big uh, vertically integrated uh, lumber and and land companies out there. So uh, it, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, what Ross has to say. Absolutely. Well, uh, in advance of that, let me just once again congratulate our team on uh, moving the ball uh, down the field here on the lumber issue. Now, we're, we're not at resolution yet, but we had a new administration, a new government get set up. Uh, we've had the COVID uh, issue still hanging over our heads. And uh, we are now getting to the point where uh, due to the efforts of, of your team on the Hill that you mentioned, uh, Jim Rizzo's uh, team uh, in, in the legal arena and the analytical skills and advocacy uh, voices of our economics group uh, have moved the ball to where uh, they're listening to us now. Uh, and the results of that meeting next week are, will be uh, interesting for our listeners to hear. Absolutely. Uh, with that, let's bring in our guest. We're lucky today to have with us Ross Stock of Western Cascade Industries in Toledo, Oregon. Uh, Ross, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jerry. Hey, Ross, it's good to see you and hear you. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate thanks, you taking the time. Ross, as, as, as I know you're aware, um, the home building sector is up in arms right now. Uh, we are uh, paying... Uh, uh, about $1,400 per thousand board feet of lumber. Um, when we were in the midst of the housing boom in the 2000s, we were building maybe double the number of houses we're building now, and lumber was down around $400 per thousand board feet. Can you uh, explain to our listeners why that huge disparity? 
in terms of the increase this year, it's from where I see it is probably as big of a mystery as it is to you. I have uh, the reasons why I think lumber has made the move it's made this year, but it's important to remember, as I'm sure as, as you're stating that uh, the training range of lumber has been effectively really not even considering or adjusting for inflation. It's been the same since uh, certainly the mid eighties through to um, the mid two thousands. Um, we've traded between, you know, two hundred dollars a thousand and four hundred dollars a thousand for uh, twenty years, uh, thirty years, and occasionally we would see a run up towards five hundred, uh, as we did in two thousand four and we did in the early two thousands, and we have uh, seen it made runs down to a hundred um, in two thousand eight. We we always talk about the Great Recession. It started for us in '07. Well, people were people were asking us, you know, boy, houses are sure expensive and everybody is building. You must be making a killing. Or like actually our product has uh, lost about 35% of its value in most of that time. So the, the price of lumber um, just does not really track with construction uh, one-to-one. The correlation is undeniable or maybe it's just too complex. Um, but it doesn't generally relate specifically to what's happening at housing at any given time. Um, there are a number of reasons uh, that I think lumber has gone up. I cannot tell you why it has gone up this much. My question to the building community is why are you paying it? Um, and I know the answer is because you can't get it anywhere else, but um, it is, uh, um, as a producer, I don't really set the price of my lumber. I take offers. I, I don't personally. I don't. I don't print a list. I'm a smaller producer, and I think that's important as well um, in terms of my responses for people to understand. I make about one fifth as much lumber in my one sawmill as a warehouser or Georgia Pacific might make in one of their sawmills, one of their multiple mills. But we sell into the same markets, and so I'm not a market mover. Um, I am frankly astonished at the price of lumber. There are some things driving it. I believe that, I don't know how much you've discussed the Canadian wood basket issues. I don't know how much you've discussed the state of, you know, the industry as far as our capacity and what it takes. Um, I hear some pretty wild things. I was mentioning to someone, I, I, I listened to an interview on Bloomberg and and someone discussing the price of lumber and saying, well, you know, uh, mills take millions of dollars in months to set up. They take years and they take tens of millions of dollars to set up on the industrial side. As a small producer, I couldn't replace my sawmill today for $40 million. If I wanted to rebuild a, a modern stud mill today, you know, you're probably talking 40 to 50 million. And don't forget, Steel is doubled in this time. Copper is about doubled. Um, lumber is clearly exceptional um, in terms of its overall growth and price. But making manufacturing lumber today industrially is very expensive. It's hard to get people to, um, if you have a labor-intensive operation, it's hard to crew. Um, and uh, there just isn't as much of the industry left after the mid 80s, really, 
you know, we couldn't add capacity fast enough. I am still stunned that, you know, um, I, I did hear a lumber broker say, this is not a supply side problem. They would have solved it at 700. And we would have. I mean, we were, we were astonished at 700. Um, I sell an off-grade, unstamped, no-claim, leftover piece of lumber that we sell to pallet manufacturers and wood packagers. I'm getting more for that than I was for on-grade lumber ever before May a year ago. So there. You, you mentioned capacity. Um, as I understand it, you, you run uh, two shifts four days a week. Uh, have you been tempted to add capacity given the how hot the market is? I run five shifts. I mean, I run five days a week and I do maintenance on the weekends. I run a limited swing shift on my Friday afternoons. There are a number of things that limit capacity. Yes, I would. And I am telling, I am hiring now. I've raised my wages over 10% across the board. Um, incoming existing employees, I'm hiring in every direction and I've had limited success finding people. There are a number, I, I certainly would add capacity in terms of adding mechanical capacity or improving my, my machines uh, for, uh, towards a higher output, those, we're, we're doing that. But those projects take months and years. Um, if I were to call a major sawmill line producer today, uh, USNR, um, Bid Group, COMAX, PHL, um, there are a number of groups, you know, you're, you'll be lucky to get bids within a couple of months for the projects that you're talking about. And again, that's if they're shovel ready, but Sommeling has undergone a tremendous amount of consolidation. And um, like I said, the, the end product has not seen appreciation for 35 years. Where do you get your lumber from for your company? Our logs? Yes, your logs. I always like this too, because you know, lumber is the square stuff, timber is the round stuff. I'm and in sorry. many ways, in well, in many ways, like I say too, timber is is really still on the stump. Um, I did hear someone saying, Well, you know, these mills now, I mean, they're taking orders for lumber and it hasn't even been cut. And I'm like, we only take orders for lumber that hasn't been cut. Um, we are I'm sold out towards uh, August at this point. Um, I mean, my inventories are pretty well spoken for, and that's if I can perform adequately. But do you, you know, probably, do you get do you get your logs from private lands or from public lands? Both, uh, though, although very very few from public lands at this stage. Um, we, my family, has been in this business for three years and or three generations, and had three kind of main operations, and, and with a few auxiliary ones as well. And um, the resources changed. Obviously, you cut the older stuff and it's gone. And um, people have moved to a smaller age class of timber for a long, long time. And yet we're still fighting about a lot of that ground as though it's ancient, pristine reserve forest. And it isn't. But in the state of Oregon, you know, we took a public forest that uh, the Elliott State Forest, that by law was required to be sold Instead, our governor issued $100 million in bonds with another $100 million in interest and has to come up with another $170 million to turn it into a research forest. Well, I know of about three or four mills that were in that area, and they're gone. They couldn't fire up today if they wanted to because they're not there anymore. Private timber is the largest source in the Northwest, and it's large commercial timber farms. 
And it's, it's really interesting how the industry gets characterized when most of that timber is owned by institutional investors. <laughs> it's owned by, you know, I'm, I'm just off the top of my, you know, it's the Southern Illinois Librarians Association. It's the scholarship fund of, you know, um, Sheboygan lacrosse. I really, it, it, these are institutional investments. Those trees are not owned by sawmills primarily. Um, Warehouser is not, it is not a, uh, a typical publicly traded company the way they used to be. They are a real estate investment trust. They are a timber company. They own timber. They grow timber. That is their business. That is their mission. They have mills, their own mills, to add value to their timber. So, you know, the, what you're seeing right now, by the way, that is exceptional, like in the southeast, is that log values in the northwest are traditionally high, but they have not gone up as fast as lumber. In the southeast, I hear a lot of issues about stumpage rates being really low because the farm bill 35 years ago encouraged people to plant southern yellow pine over non-cash yielding crops, you know, to try to balance, you know, the issues we were having in, in agriculture in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Those trees are ready to be harvested. And I don't mean that they couldn't any one of them individually grow to be a much larger, more majestic individual specimen of a tree. I'm saying that they were planted to be harvested in 30 to 40 years, and they're having a hard time finding people to do it. Let me ask you a question. You've touched on this a little bit. Um, there's, there's three places that we can get lumber for, for America's home builders. We can get the logs from public lands, private lands, or we can import it. We have traditionally imported 30% of our lumber from Canada. That's a whole trade dispute issue that's really, uh, it's important, but I, I wanna focus more on our domestic harvest. Is it your view that we could get enough lumber to make up for what we have to import if we harvested more domestically off of sustainably harvested, harvested with environmental concerns in mind, but harvested off of our public lands and, and, and all the private lands? I mean, there's two questions there, really. The first thing is in the short term, no. In the short term, right now, everyone has the logs that they can process. Building new mills will take a long time. And I can tell you why people are gonna be hesitant to do that. It's a lot of the same people who had to tear down and sell their mills as the industry was consolidating and as environmental policy changed. I just don't wanna represent that the industry is not aware of climate change and that they're not concerned about it. Um, they are, we are, it's our livelihood. It's our homes in most cases. Um, what we have is confused policy that's highly politicized. And um, at some point, it's not going to be what, you know, the sort of monopoly man with a cigar in his mouth looking at trees he'd like to cut down for fun and make whatever money he decides. It's like, that doesn't really exist. The, the, the industry is leaner because of what it has been through for the last 30 years. People are specialists. They're specialized. They're not, we don't have a lot of general cutting mills anymore. 
the, you know, when we talk about the Canadians, for example, you know, I really kind of feel like the NAHB and politicians really made that to be a more contentious relationship than we ever intended it to be. Um, if we had had the softwood lumber agreement, there wouldn't be tariffs right now because the softwood lumber agreement really only kicked tariffs in when the market was completely falling apart. And the idea about that was that it could preserve mills domestically. Those are the mills you don't have right now. Those are the mills that could be running and they're not. Make, uh, let me speak up for our members here on this one. NHB members would prefer to get 100% of our lumber from American domestic producers. There's no end user of lumber or of paper or of wood products of any kind more pro-American than our home builders because we build and we don't export. We understand the value of domestic production. We didn't set, we opposed the restrictions uh, and we still oppose restrictions, particularly on harvesting in, in private lands, but also some of the restrictions that are on public lands we think are just absurd. We're completely with you that our national forests are supposed to be a renewable resource. But we, we've lost that battle now. How can we work together to reverse that situation? I think that there are things happening now that are not reversing that situation. I think, by the way, man, like I said, what's left of the lumber wood products industry, but in particularly in lumber, we're fairly pragmatic about it. Um, number one, we you, there's not, I mean, you need Canadian lumber. Occasionally we're importing European lumber. Um, you know, that does, you know, there is actually a decent European import market that swells from time to time, particularly into the East Coast. Um, there are people pursuing, you know, South American wood, and a lot of those are American companies. And, you know, um, if, if I can back up a little on the Canadian issue, the Canadian operators will tell you, I mean, it's like, it's like the bizarro world of our world in, in lumber producing. The government's telling them they have a certain amount of wood available and the operators are going, no, they don't. <laughs> They're lying. We don't have that much there. I mean, they've suffered a devastation in that wood basket over the last decade, 15 years, 20 years. And we're, We've kind of ignored that over time, but they haven't. Look how many Canadian companies have bought out mills and built new mills in the Southeast of the United States. You know, that's all a matter of public record. Just go look, you know. Well, they, there's there's yeah, no question that the big producers uh, have, have assets on both sides of the border. Right. Whether it's Canadian yeah. companies here in the United States or American companies in Canada. Yes. And right. I think those big producers having that advantage is one of the reasons why some of the small producers like yourself uh, have have left the industry. Those guys can, we call it the cross-border double dip. Yes, it's, um, yeah, but it's all, you know, I mean, they have a slightly different system. I'm not going to say it's a bad system. There are less people in Canada than there are in California. Um, and yet it's a vast, you know, wood basket. Um, and a lot of our, you know, we do business with Canadian companies. Canadian companies do business with us. Um, and like I said, as operators, you know, we have the utmost respect for Canadian sawmillers. Like I said, a lot of them are now our neighbors in the Southeast and in the Northwest. And um, really there isn't much dispute that we're talking about 
you know, how, what public timber policy is um, in, in their region and our region, how it's different, how freight worked differently at different times and how we could iron out the differences. I actually think, like I said, when what we're dealing with now is um, value price lumber. You know, there's this allegory in fuel where you will talk to people that will say, well, you know, if we really stop externalizing all the costs, and in fairness, by the way, I did my master's research in sustainability. Um, so I am, you know, and, and out of that, I was inspired to say, well, what is it about wood products that's not sustainable when it's done right? How is this not the hope? How is this not the hope, you know, for for affordable housing. That's why when you go to my website, all it says, and I was a web developer for 15 years, I could do a, I could do more, but I feel like there's only one message and I wish that the Softwood Lumber Board would start delivering it because it's a cross-border message as well. And that's just, wood is the answer. It is the answer to housing our exploding population semi-sustainably and still maintaining whatever our carbon goals are. Um, you know, it, it, it is a complex, complex issue. What isn't that complex is that we don't have any other building products that grow above the earth's crust. Not really. Um, bamboo is great, but you're going to use a lot of glue. Um, you know, it's, let's, it is. And there's not much that's going to achieve through sunlight, carbon, soil, and water, uh, a structural member of human scale any less efficiently or sustainably. Um, you know, we continue to believe that whether it's Canadian wood or it's our wood, the population of the earth was under 2 billion before 1900 and it's sniffing 8 billion now. And those people have to live somewhere. And we make a product that's grown, derived from a plant grown from the earth. And um, I think that part of, like I said, there's this theory about gasoline that if we included all the externalized costs that we don't count, the gas would be 15 bucks a gallon and we'd all be driving electric trucks. And they might be right. And you also might be having a price of lumber that relates to the same allegory. You know, like I said, and our governor, you know, basically put us in a $500 million hole over a little piece of timber. And if we're going to preserve it and not use it, then the lumber is going to be more expensive. And I can be honest with you from the Northwest perspective, I could see lumber half and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen it half and I've seen it double lots of times. I've never seen it quadruple. This is exceptional. I have never seen that, but I can also tell you that more than likely what's going to be coming, the Southeast will probably help the Northwest, but in the Northwest, the money will just move back to the round wood. The people that own the land and own the trees are going to be in control of what the value proposition really is. And if public isn't going to participate in that through a public timber program, then we're really at the mercy of what they decide the real value is for better or for worse. But, but you know, at some level, there are people out there who think, this is a good thing. $1,500 lumber is a good thing because it'll save trees and they might be right. Uh, Ross, let me ask you one thing. What one final message would you have as we try to work through this, this issue uh, and try and build and maintain strong, positive relationships uh, throughout the, the lumber supply chain? What message do you, would you have? That we want a healthy and stable supply chain exactly the way they do. 
And I'm not complaining about making what we're making on our lumber right now. And that's because I've never, ever, 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 ever seen it and never, ever, ever, ever expected it. Um, what we want is stability. This thing makes me nervous. It is hard to sleep while this is going on. And when I run into other problems, other issues that I have, my byproducts are all down across the board. You know what I mean? Um, the lumber is more than making up for it. But we live in fear of instability every day that we get up to go to work. We want a stable supply chain as well. And like I said, join in the conversation about where, what we're going to build with and where it's going to come from. And, you know, and I believe that wood is the solution. If we have a healthy industry, we will have stability. If we don't have a healthy industry, we won't. We're going to run into these issues time and time again. I want a healthy planet and I want a place for people to live. I think the, the biggest thing is we want the same thing. And, and oft, I mean, a year ago, I was ready to put a poster in my lunchroom that says the National Association of Home Builders thinks you're lazy and make too much money. I mean, it's, you know, at some point we have to understand, you know, we, we absolutely want the same thing. We don't want it to be $1,500 unless it's going to stay there. But it's the stability over time that is going to, then, then you're going to know what it's going to cost when you go to the yard. And we're going to know what to pay for logs that I'm not going to get to saw for six months or a couple of years if I'm buying a public timber sale. You see what I mean? Yes, yes, I do. Ross, we really thank you for your time. This has been very informative, uh, very helpful for our members, and we appreciate everything you're doing. We look forward to uh, coming out the end of this situation in a way where uh, both your industry and our industry can be successful uh, because that's the only way the American public's going to win. Ross, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ross. Thanks. Take care, Ross. Take care. Well, Jim, that was really interesting. Uh, you were right uh, setting it up by saying that Ross would have a lot of opinions. He certainly <laughs> yeah. has strong opinions on a lot of these issues. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, we, we you know, our, last po- our last podcast and now this one, uh, I think it's important for us to hear from the wood products industry, especially these small mill mill owners. You know, we, we hear about LP and and Boise and, and Weyerhaeuser, you know, the, 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 the mill industry and the forest products industry in the U.S. really – uh, is made up of of, of real salty earth people. I think people that our members relate to, uh, small uh, men and women in a in a very difficult labor intensive industry. Cranking well, Jim, out and, let's oh. be fair. I'm not sure they're small people. They're <laughs> no, small no, businesses. It, it's true. We only saw Ross on the screen. He could he could be seven feet tall. In fact, he did have a picture of a large blue. Uh, ox behind him, <laughs> but Ross was yeah, all joking aside. Ross was great, and and a lot of perspective. We covered actually, he covered a, a lot of uh, a lot of ground, and I think I hope our listeners found it as valuable as you and I did. So we will wait till uh, next week and see what yeah. the future brings for us on lumber and right. uh, any other a number of other issues. In the meantime, uh, Jim, I hope you and your family have a great Memorial Day weekend. Yep. Uh, this is Jerry Howard saying thanks for listening. This is Jim Tobin. Have a great weekend, everybody.